You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, good morning, Redemption. Uh, It's great to be with you again today. And uh, this morning's sermon, we're going to be dealing with the key word in our church name, redemption. And uh, it's one of the most precious truths of which we cling to in our Christian faith. The word redeem means to be set free by paying a price. Because of sin coming into the world, man has been subject to slavery. Slavery to their sin and captive under the sentence of death. God alone has the ability to save his people from slavery and captivity. And God gave us just a little bit of a preview when he took his captive people out of Egypt. After 400 years of them being there under oppression and slavery by the land of Egypt, God freed his people from there. But that was just a foretaste of what was to come through Jesus Christ. Earlier, Matt read Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. And in verse 7, we read this, In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It is through the blood of Christ that you and I have been redeemed. A story is told of a, of a church service that was happening in San Francisco. And many people had come to hear this speaker. He was a, he was a great uh, speaker. He was a gifted, a gifted at, at being able to, 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 uh, to, to speak. And... Um, as they listened to him, though, they realized this man was not orthodox in his teaching. And he began to direct most of his eloquence against the power of the blood of Christ. Marsden related what, that when his fluent oratory ended, a timid elderly lady stood up in the midst of the crowd and softly began to sing a great hymn by William Cooper as a touching rebuttal to the modernist remarks. A hush fell over the assembly as they heard those faint but familiar words. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Before she could begin the second stanza, approximately a hundred people rose to join her. By the time she reached the third verse, nearly a thousand Christians all over the audience were singing that blessed song of faith. The triumphant, thrilling strains rang out loud and clear. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Many were deeply moved as the humble believer stood up for her Lord with the light of heaven upon her face. And when it comes to redemption, our God is a great redeemer. And through the precious blood of Christ, you and I have been redeemed and God desires to use you and I in this story of redemption. And this is what we're going to see highlighted as we go through chapter 4 of Ruth, both this week and next week. We're going to see that our God uses these small stories to develop his greater story of redemption. And uh, we get to be a part of it. And uh, so that's what we're going to be looking at this week and next week. And before we do, though, let me just uh, pray for us one more time. Lord God, I'm so thankful that you know every single thing about us. And Lord, as we pause and we come before your throne together, God, we're mindful of the fact that, um, Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. And so, God, we're praying today, Lord, would you meet each one? God, would you strengthen those who are weak? Lord, those who are struggling, would you bring encouragement? Lord, those who are doing well, would you cheer them on? God, we we pray that through your word today, you would take your word and you would use it to, to build up our faith in you, Lord, to strengthen our faith in you. And Lord, that you would even take your word today to add add some people to your kingdom that lord if there be some who are watching this message today who don't know about this word redemption maybe they've heard about it but they've never experienced redemption in their own lives god i pray even today would you take them from death to life 
Would you, through your precious blood, would you ransom them for your glory's, for your glory's sake? And so, God, we're praying. God, would, would you lead me uh, as I preach? God, would you, would you speak through me, Lord? Would you empower me by your Holy Spirit to teach your word well? God, we, we long to hear from you. And so, God, we are entrusting ourselves to you as we look at this amazing um, chapter of Ruth. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you don't have a Bible with you, again, I would just encourage you to uh, scrounge one up in the house or download an app. We use the ESV Bible. And again, we're going to be looking at Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 to 12 today. And uh, if you don't, uh, sorry, uh, Ruth chapter 4, 1 to 12. And uh, if you weren't with us uh, last week, I want to just quickly summarize what happened in chapter 3 so that we understand what chapter 4, what's going on in chapter 4 here. When we start chapter 3, Naomi desires that her daughter-in-law would find rest, that she would be able to find rest through having a husband. And so she encourages her to go to Boaz and, and to express that she would like to come under his protection, his provision, that, that he as their kinsman redeemer, would he redeem her? And so we see uh, Ruth being obedient to Naomi, going to Boaz, and Boaz hearing this request and saying, yes, I will be your redeemer. However, there's another one who's closer to, uh, to this right of redemption. And so we have to allow him to have first uh, opportunity to redeem you. But one thing I will do is I'll make sure that this happens quickly. And so he's made that assurance to her. She went home, loaded down with grain, uh, barley, just another symbol of Boaz's love and care for both Ruth and Naomi. And that's how the last chapter ended. Naomi has come home, she, or sorry, Ruth has come home to Naomi and has reported this great report of what uh, Boaz has said. And now they await to see what will happen the next day. That's where we find ourselves as we look at chapter four. And as we look at chapter four, we're gonna see that, that three truths redemption embraces. Three truths in redemption embraces. The first is the reality, the great need. The reality that there is a great need for redemption. Now Boaz, verse one, had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And so while Ruth has made her way home, Boaz has now made his way to Bethlehem. And as he gets there, he, 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 he waits at the gate. And uh, he's, he's sitting down at the gate because of a several, several reasons here. The gate was a really important place in, this, in, this, in the town, in any town in Israel. It was there that people would come and go, so it would be a busy place as people went off to their fields and came back. So there's a lot of traffic going on there. But there was also, it was the, the marketplace was here, and it was also the place where court rulings were made, both by elders and by kings. And it's that last reason why Boaz has come and sat down here at this gate. And we're told that as he's sitting there waiting, behold, just like we've seen in chapter 2, behold, the guy he's looking for happens to come by. Again, it's just highlighting. This isn't a coincidence. God's hand is in this. And so the Redeemer comes and Boaz asks him to come and to sit down where he's at. Now, in your English translation, it says that, um, it's that, that he's turn aside friend turn aside friend. But the, the uh, Hebrew translation is actually, come and sit down, Mr. So-and-so. And interestingly, the author doesn't give a name for this person. In fact, makes it as vague as possible. And we're going to see why as we continue to go through here. But right away, right from the beginning, he's highlighting the fact that there, there's a strong difference between Boaz and Mr. So-and-so. He's showing us there's going to be a strong contrast here. And so he comes and he, and he asks that he would come and, and sit down because he wants to talk to him about this uh, redemption that needs to happen. So what was a redeemer to do in Israel at this time? I wanted just to highlight a few verses 
I know in your small groups, you guys looked at this, uh, not this last week, but the week before, but I want to just go back to this, remind us all, what was it that a Redeemer was supposed to do? Leviticus 25, 25 says, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest Redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. You see, in Israel, the, the, the land was God's. And God wanted each particular family to have the land. And so if you got poor, you, you became poor and you had to sell off your land to someone who wasn't from your family, then another person from your family could come back and redeem it. Or in the best case scenario, somebody in your family could redeem that piece of land right away and buy it. Or as we see another way that a uh, redeemer was used, uh, Leviticus 25, 47 to 49 It says, if a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. Or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. In other words, again, we see this implication that a relative would be able to redeem even someone out of slavery. If they had got to such a point where they had sold themselves into slavery, they could be redeemed through a relative or in, in some cases, if they were able to somehow get money, they could redeem themselves. And then another indication, uh, sorry, another responsibility of a redeemer we find in Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 to 10. And that would be in the case where where someone's husband dies. The husband dies, there is no children. And so what the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 25 is that someone, a relative, would then marry that woman and the first child born to that woman, first son, would be then um, the person who passed away, that would be their son. So why? So that the name of that person would not fade away. And we're going to see all of these things in play as we look at this passage. So verse 2, we see that he needs more than just the Redeemer. So Boaz, it says in verse 2, he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. He needs to get some witnesses together in order to uh, have a legal ceremony. It can't be just between two, two men. It has to be in front of witnesses. And so we see them bring these 10 elders to make the decision. Elders were responsible for governing affairs in a local community. And so that's what's going on. These guys are they're used to doing this kind of thing. And, uh, and they're going to come and help make sure what's done is proper. It doesn't seem like it's hard for Boaz to get these men together. Again, we just see uh, every indication in this book that he's a man who's well-respected. And so when he asks for these elders to come, they come. And I was just thinking about that, just a side note. How is it that you and I could be people of reputation? Well, it's consistent, ongoing faithfulness. And so Boaz, he doesn't just show up and be faithful this day or wasn't just when Ruth showed up two months ago. This man has been someone who's been faithful consistently for a long time and and may the Lord make us men and women like that. Well, everyone sat down, courts in session. Verse three, then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, sorry, they said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, this is a little bit of a surprise. If you remember at the end of chapter three, what we're expecting is this whole redemption ceremony to be based around Ruth and her redemption. But he starts by talking about this piece of land that needs to be redeemed. By selling this land, Naomi would be in a better place to survive financially. And according to the Torah, she was to first seek to sell it to a close relative. Uh, We can see another example of this in Jeremiah 32, verses 6 to 12. Again, as we go through these different verses, I want to just encourage you to write these verses down. Look it up for yourself later. But another example of, of a close relative selling to another relative is found in Jeremiah 32, 6 to 12. We're not told what relation Boaz and Mr. So-and-so are to uh, Ruth and Naomi, but obviously they're the closest ones to be able to redeem. He continues on in verse 4. So, 
I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it, this piece of land, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. The man that Boaz is addressing is first in line for the right to acquire the land. So Boaz has brought everyone together for this purpose. He's a man who wants to follow the law. He wants to do everything according to righteousness. And so he's brought everyone forward and he's saying to this man, listen, this land is available. You have first rights to it. And I want to encourage you, go ahead and redeem it. What Boaz is guaranteeing through this proposal is that through one way or another, Naomi will be selling her land that day. He makes it clear that if Mr. So-and-so is willing to buy it, he should do so. But what else did he say? If he will not, then he is next in line and he has every intention on redeeming the land if he does not. Again, I want us just to pause and look at what Boaz is doing here. He's seen the great need in Naomi and Ruth and what they need. And so he is being very proactive here. He, he's responding in this way out of love for Ruth and Naomi. He will not rest until they are redeemed out of the situation they are in. This is why he's brought everything to this point in such a quick time. He wants them to be redeemed. Bo- Boaz is following the example of the Lord Our God acts this way, acts in the same way in redeeming us out of his abundant love. Psalm 44, 26 says this, Rise up, come to our help, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. In other words, the reason that God redeems is because he is a God of love. When you consider this world and the wickedness of it, our continual propensity to reject God and His truth, our tendency to embrace our chains even when freedom is offered, we might wonder why God did did not just destroy all of creation and be done with it. But the reason He has not is because God is love. He is the very definition of love. He is compassionate. And when He looks at our desperate need, He responds in love. He made a way that we might be redeemed when it seemed like redemption was not possible. Again, in the Psalms, we see our great need. Psalm 49, 7-9 Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. In other words, words, it seems like it is an impossible situation that you and I could ever be redeemed, that we could ever be ransomed. How is it that you and I could be ransomed? It says right here that no man can ransom another. In other words, we have a debt that none of us can pay. However, God saw our great need. And we are told in perhaps the most well-known verse in the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The, The plan for Christ to come to redeem us was born out of his love for us. And Jesus, in being here, he knew that was exactly the plan. In talking to his disciples, he said in Matthew 20, 28, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why Jesus came, that you and I could be redeemed out of our slavery to sin. This is the incredible love of God towards us. The Lord saw our great need, and because of his love, he was proactive in taking care of what we needed and paying the price for our redemption. And the cost was high as we're going to see in just a moment. But let us consider Boaz just one more time and his example of how he followed the Lord. 
He was a person who was proactive in seeking to redeem the great needs around him. How proactive are you? How proactive are we as a church, a church who has named itself Redemption? Are we aware of the needs around us? Are you aware of the needs around you? The needs of our neighbors, our relatives, our coworkers, our church family. Are we actively seeking to help those in need? This last week, our city passed a bylaw that if taken to the letter of the law, it could see myself or other people in leadership in our church, anyone who would counsel someone according to what the Word of God says. We could be fined $10,000 or we could be thrown in jail if we followed what the Word of God says. Now, when I first heard about this bylaw and I understand the implications of it, my first reaction is what? It's anger. I'm just going to be honest. When I hear that, I, I, I feel like this isn't right. Our freedoms are being taken away. This, you know, how can, how can this happen? But I was also convicted as I thought about that. My first reaction should be love. My first reaction should be, Lord, there's so many people who are enslaved in their sin. There are so many people who don't see the glory of what your word says, the love that is evident in your word. They don't see it. Why? Because they're following the deceiver. The the father of lies, Satan, has blinded them to your amazing truth. God, help me to go to them that they might see that you're a glorious redeemer. Redemption, I, I, I want us to be a church who doesn't, we're not just, ang- we're not angry, we're not, you know, ranting and raving. We need to be a church who's responding in love like Boaz and like our Savior. Well, we need to love the lost. We, it, th- when we see something like this happen, we should only love more, not less. Because that's what Christ has done for us. And so let us love well. Let us go with this message of redemption to the lost, even if that means that the the cost will be high to us. Well, I want to just remind us how this verse ended because it doesn't end like we think. The Redeemer says, I will redeem it. You, you know, when you read that, if, you're like, are you kidding me? We've just had all this buildup of three chapters for this guy, Mr. So-and-so, to come along and redeem? This doesn't seem right. But that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story because this Redeemer, when he understands how high the cost of redemption is, he won't do it. That brings us to our next truth. Truth Three truths that redemption embraces, the reality, the great need, and then secondly, the risk, the great cost, verses 5 to 10. Boaz Boaz now wants Mr. So-and-so to understand the full picture. This redemption will be costly. There's more than just a piece of land to buy and to acquire. Verse 5, then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Boaz explains the redemption of the land also means you must make Ruth the Moabite your wife. As the author has done so many times, he refers to Ruth as the Moabite. Now, in this particular case, it's probably because he's just distinguishing Ruth from all other Ruths in this legal ceremony. But again, it's a reminder that this Moabite, a person who was usually kept outside of God's promises, a person who the Israelites did not like the Moabites, two nations who were continually at odds with one another. But God, in his incredible salvation plan, in his plan of redemption, is redeeming this Moabite. And we're so thankful for that 3,000 years later that God still redeems unlikely people like you and me. Well, the goal, the goal in, in this redemption is that a name would be preserved. With Naomi being too old to provide an heir to preserve the name of Elimelech, Ruth 
the riddle of the dead, the son of Naomi, will now be the one who would be redeemed through the acquiring of the land. The goal again being Deuteronomy 25, the, the passing along of the name, the name of Elimelech and the name of his son. This was highly important in the culture at this time, not only in Israel. A block says this, in the ancient world, one of the most fearful curses one person could invoke on another is to say, may your seed perish and your name die out. It was really important for the name of the family to continue on from generation to generation. And God had made a way for that to happen through this plan of redemption. We see in verse 6, Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my rate of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. With this additional information, Mr. So-and-so was no longer interested in fulfilling his role as the Redeemer. For him, the cost is too high. In order for him to meet the covenantal obligations and responsibilities, it just seems like it's, the price is way too high for him. It was a great idea to maybe pick up a little bit more land. You know, maybe through that I can, I can uh, get a greater amount of money coming in. But now, now this is too much. This is too much. Uh, he now understands that, that instead of gain through this redemption, it's actually going to, to, to cost him in different ways. He's not only going to have to buy the land, but now he has to take care of Naomi, the widow, and he has to marry Ruth. And then through marrying Ruth, if they are to have a son, which is the whole goal through this redemption, if he... They are to have a son, then that son will now inherit the piece of land that he's just acquired and everything will go with it. And so all he sees is the cost. His focus is where? His focus is 100% upon himself. He says this I cannot redeem it for myself. Not, I will not. I cannot. I can't see any possible way that my, myself and where I'm at right now that I could do this. And so he's not just saying I will not. He's saying I cannot do it. Here we see the great contrast between Boaz and Mr. So-and-so. Boaz, what does he see? All he sees is the need. He's not even thinking about what it's going to cost him. He just wants to make sure that redemption happens. Out of his love, he, he's not concerning about himself. He's concerned about others. Mr. So-and-so, his whole focus is on himself. I cannot redeem it for myself. For why? Because I will impair my own inheritance. I will need to purchase the land. I'll need to take care of Naomi, Mary Ruth. It's just too much. The cost is too high, so take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Again, not, not, I will not, I cannot. Boaz, I think you should be the redeemer instead. <laughs> Twice he said, I can't do it. Perhaps he's easing his conscience that it's okay that he's not going to do it. Because someone else is going to do it. How many times... Have we reasoned the same way? We could help that person, but we're just too busy right now. We could help, but that's really going to hurt us financially. And, you know, we, we kind of want to do that trip this next year. And we could help, but, you know, there's probably someone else who's, who's better uh, to do the job than me. You know, they, they're more qualified. I, I could help, but you know what? Um, somebody else probably will. Which reminds us of what Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 10. Remember the story with the lawyer? The lawyer comes to Jesus and says, Hey, what do I need to enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus is like, Well, what do you think the scriptures say? And he's like, Well, I, I, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, You said, you said it well. And he's like, well, well, who's my neighbor? So then Jesus goes on and tells a parable about a man who had been beaten. He was on the side of the road. He was in great need. Another story of a man in great need. 
and a priest came along and he walked around and just, you know, I don't know if he said a prayer for him or whatever, but he, he just kept going. A Levite came along. He went on the other side, didn't do anything for him. And then a Samaritan, who in Jesus' culture at the time, again, somebody who's an outsider, a Samaritan came along and saw the great need and he took on the great cost to care for that man. And, and, and it cost him time, it cost him money, but he did what was needed to help that person. As we consider this passage today, I want us to stop and think, who am I more like? Am I more like Boaz in the Samaritan? Or am I more like Mr. So-and-so or the Levite or the priest in Jesus' parable? By God's grace, maybe, maybe we haven't been like Boaz in the past, but by God's grace, may he, may he lead us, may he guide us, may he increase our love for those around us so that we would be like Boaz. And that when we see the need before us, we wouldn't be focused on ourselves, we'd be focused on the need and on our Savior, and that we would respond in a way that would bring him glory and honor. Let's get back to the passage, verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So the author wants to understand. Now, Boaz, he's, he's ready to do this. He's happy to redeem uh, this situation. But how's that going to take place? Well, there's this legal ceremony that happens. The person... And when deciding, hey, I'm not going to redeem the land and I'm going to exchange it instead to you, it would take off their sandal and give it to the other person. In our day, that would be like, you know, signing your legal forms. You know, just leave you like 7,000, you know, places you're signing in front of lawyers. Well, in this case, you'd be taking your sandal off and giving it to the other person in front of a bunch of witnesses. That seems a little strange, doesn't it? Like, what it was, why were they doing this? Many of the scholars think it has something to do with Joshua 1.3. At that place, the Lord had said to Joshua, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. In other words, when you step on that land, it's yours. And so, in this symbolic way, this man is saying, I won't be stepping on that land. I won't be claiming that land. Instead, I'm giving you my right to do that by giving you my sandal. He's fulfilling the legal requirements. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. The legal requirements were met. The law was fulfilled. Again, this is such an important piece to this passage. A commentator Prime says this, The story would have been so much more straightforward had Boaz been the nearest kinsman. God does nothing without reason. Given its connection with the bigger plan of redemption, it would seem that the reason for this twist in the plot is to show that for redemption to take place, the law must always be satisfied, not bypassed. This is certainly true when we think of the redemption God provided through the Lord Jesus. Again, in the news this last week, uh, there was a Christian singer who said that he no longer believes in God. He said the following, why does Jesus have to, have to die for our sins? If God can do anything, can't he forgive without someone dying? I mean, my parents taught me to forgive people. Nobody dies in that scenario. So what would you say to this man? Well, you know, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus not just say, hey, everyone, you're forgiven? Because that would be unjust. Because the law would not be fulfilled. When we think about justice, all we have to do is think about the events this last week in Minneapolis. I'm sure many of you are, uh, know of what would happen with the man whose name was Floyd. It, a, a terrible injustice happened this last week. And if you were to, to see that video, the first thing you say is there has to be justice. Somebody has to pay for what has been done. And that gives us a glimpse into our, into our, our God's heart. When, when we sin against him, justice must be fulfilled. 
to do anything else would make God unjust. This is why Jesus had to come. Anything else would break the law. In Jesus coming, he fulfilled the law and walked in perfection and then exchanged that perfection for our sins and took the wrath of God upon himself so that the penalty would be paid, so that the ransom that we owed would be taken care of. When a crime is committed, you just don't say, ah, oh, don't worry about it. No, that somebody has to pay. That's how God works. And so, I know a lot of us like to belittle our sin, right? Like, you know, like for us, when we sin, it's not a big deal. Like, you know, God should just forgive us. But when somebody else sins against us, then we see it as a really big deal. Well, God sees all sin as a really big deal. But he, instead of doing what we deserved and just wiping us all out, God in his love sent Christ to die for us. It was an incredibly great cost. To help us to understand this transaction of, of Jesus being both the justifier and the, and the just, listen to this illustration given by Josh McDowell. He talks about a young woman who was picked up for speeding and she was ticketed and taken before the judge. The judge read off the citation and said, guilty or not guilty? The woman replied, guilty. The judge brought, down, judge brought down the gavel and fined her $100 or 10 days. Then an amazing thing took place. The, ju the judge stood up, took off his robe, walked down around in front, took out his billfold and paid the fine. What's the explanation of this? The judge was her father. He loved his daughter, yet he was a just judge. His daughter had broken the law and he couldn't just say to her, because I love you so much, I forgive you. You may leave. If he had done that, he wouldn't have been a righteous judge. But he loved his daughter so much, he was willing to take off his judicial robe and come down in front and represent her as her father and pay the fine. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He came and lived the perfect life so that we could be saved, so that our debt could be paid. What a Savior. What amazing grace. Jesus has fulfilled the legal requirements that were needed for our redemption. And today I want to ask you the question, who is carrying your burden of sin today? Are you still carrying on on your own? Or have you given it to the Lord Jesus Christ and allowed him to pay it for you? I pray that everyone who's watching today knows God's redemption, that you no longer are under the burden of your sin because he has paid it in full. Back to Boaz. Verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have brought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Kilion and Melion. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Melion, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that this that the name of the dead may be cut off, may not be sorry, may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of this native place. You are witnesses this day. As opposed to Mr. So-and-so, Boaz counts the cost and joyfully redeems. Twice he says they are his witnesses this day. He addresses everyone who can hear him, both the elders and all the people who have gathered to watch what has been happening. The land is now in his possession and Ruth will now become his wife so that the name of Elimelech and Melon can be carried on and not be removed from the land of Israel. The son born to her will carry that name on. People in Bethlehem at that very gate will continue to know the name of Elimelech because of the redemption that is taking place. All that was needed to be done for the redemption of Ruth and Naomi was now completed. And all who were present were witnesses to that fact. Of course, when we think about the redemption through Jesus Christ, we also know that there were witnesses. There were those who were at the cross that day as the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus 
who at the very end, Jesus cried out with his last breath and what did he say? It is finished. The legal requirements had been paid through Jesus' death. And then there were many witnesses three days later of his resurrection. And those witnesses went and proclaimed the good news that through Jesus, our redemption is possible. One of those witnesses was Peter. He says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Our redemption had a high, high cost. But because we have an amazing, loving God, He sent His Son to pay the cost for us. Three truths redemption embraces. The reality, there's a great need. The risk, there's a great cost. And then lastly, we see the reward, the great blessing. The reward, the great blessing. We see this in verses 11 and 12. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. The witnesses at the gate and the elders respond in unison. And in so doing, they pray for a three-part blessing for Ruth and Boaz. They're so excited for them. You, just, they're saying it in unison. We're saying, hey, we are witnesses. And then they, they pray for three things. First, they pray for fertility. They pray for Ruth, asking that she would be, they, that she would be like Rachel and Leah. As they considered the large nation of Israel that now existed, they remembered it was through their offspring that the nation came about. Rachel, she would have been buried close to where they were as they, uh, as they gave witness to this event. And then Leah was the one who gave birth to Judah, which is where these people were descended from, these people from Bethlehem. They were praying to the Lord that she might be able to have children. They, they were praying that they, she would have a name like Rachel and Leah. In her previous marriage, of course, Ruth did not have children. And we don't know whether Boaz had been married or not beforehand, but he clearly had no children either. But they are taking this to the Lord. And this is their prayer on behalf of Boaz and Ruth, that there would be many children come through this union. As I was thinking about the application of blessing for you and I when it comes to our redemption, there is a sense where fertility is also a blessing for you and I, but maybe in a little bit different way. For many, God does bless us with having children, but for some, He doesn't. In His ways, He, he prevents some from having. For some, never do get married. But in a, a general sense, all of us are given this blessing of fertility. What do I mean by that? Well, we know that the Bible says that if anyone is born again, they uh, are become a new creation. And we have this this joy of going around as God's representatives, all those, those of us who have been redeemed, we get to go and we get to proclaim this good news. And through that good news, by God's grace, as the good news goes out, we get to evidence people going from death to life. We get to evidence people becoming new creations. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so, in a a unique sense, you and I also have this blessing. And then the witnesses, they pray for fame for Boaz. This is the second blessing as they pray. They say this, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. They pray that the Lord would bless Boaz with prosperity and all that he does. And then they pray that his name would be famous. Well, God certainly answered that prayer, didn't he? 3,000 years later, we're talking about Boaz still. 
Mr. So-and-so, we're not really sure who that ever was. But this man, we still remember who he is. And as we're going to look next week at the greater story, we're going to see just how significant his name became and how God um, God continues to, to see his name made famous because of what's written here in chapter 4. What a contrast again to Mr. So-and-so. We still don't know the name of the man who was in the position to redeem, but instead he decided to build his own kingdom here on earth. He, he decided that, that, that his inheritance was more important here than helping those in need. His self-focused life ended in the same way that will be for all those who live for themselves. Now, there are some, obviously, people who, you know, we, we can look back and say, obviously, they live for themselves. They never did claim Christ. They didn't, you know, they're, they are, they're in some history books, right? You know, people like Stalin and Hitler and, and Napoleon and, you know, down through the ages. I mean, people that were, you know, never claimed any kind of faith. They're, you know, we remember them. But, but guess what? There will be a day where we will forget their names. But for you and I, there's only one book that we want to be in. There's only one book, one famous book that we want to be in, and that's Revelation 20. It's talked about in Revelation 20, 12 and 15. It says this, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And then verse 15, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There's only one book that we really care about. And that's what we want our names in the book of life. And through Jesus Christ and his redemption, our names are now written in that book. And one day on Judgment Day, They'll look down in the book and they'll say, I see your name. You're in. And we will share in his glory both then and for all of eternity. Well, the last thing they pray is for is his family. Praise, pray, they pray for his family. Verse 12, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Perez was also an ancestor of theirs. They had actually descended from Perez through the line of Judah. A tamer's husband had also died, leaving her a widow. This was the point of the prayer. This is why they're using this analogy. Block says this, The common Leverite nature of their unions through Tamar, whose husband had died childless, Judah had fathered Perez, who became the ancestor of a host of clans, including the clan of Boaz. In other words, there's a parallel here. Just in the same way that Tamar was able to have children and then that name went on uh, through Perez, we're praying for you, Ruth, that you too will be blessed and have children. And at the end of this verse, it says, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Hubbard says this, like Ruth, Tamar was a foreigner who perpetuated a family line threatened by extinction, one which later became Judah's leading house and thereby gained herself fame as its founding mother. Again, the focus is on the Lord. Lord, would you do this? They are asking that the Lord would make this happen through Ruth. We're going to look at this a lot more extensively next week. But because of God answering this prayer, you, we too now can, can be blessed. We know that the future descendants of this family included the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, you and I are now included in a unique way into this family tree. Family. In Christ, we are now children of God. We have been adopted into his family. Again, going back to that passage that Matt read earlier in Ephesians 1 verse 4 to 6, it says this, In love he predestined us to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What an incredible fact What a blessing that we have. Not only are we justified, we're adopted. 
We are now in the family of God. Before we knew Christ, our father was Satan. And literally, that was our father. And Jesus makes that clear in the Gospels. You may not know that right now if you're not in Christ. You're like, well, he's not my father. I'm not doing what he says. Yes, you are. You are following his ways. But I'm telling you this morning, you could be adopted into the family of God if you would put your trust and your hope in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins and turn to him. You would not only be justified and redeemed, you would also be adopted into his family and be called children of God. What an incredible blessing there is through redemption. Fertility, fame, and family. Well, we've seen three truths that redemption embraces. The reality, there's a great need. The risk, there's a great cost. And then the reward, there's a great blessing. Praise God that he has redeemed us. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that you, in your grace and in your mercy, that you have redeemed many who are watching today. Lord, we did not deserve it, but you saw our great need and you sent your son to die on a cross so that our debt would be paid, so that we could be freed from the slavery of sin. God, thank you. Thank you that you have chosen us to be in your family, that you have made a way that each and every one of us could be set free from our former way of life. And God, I'm praying this morning that you would help us as your people to continue to carry out this, this message of redemption. Help us to be bold with the gospel everywhere that we go. Help us to grow in our love for the lost. Help us when we see the needs around us, help us to respond to them. Help us not to run away from them and to make excuses and to get our focus on ourselves. Lord, help us through the power of your spirit to be your hands and feet and to meet that need, whatever that need might be. God, we want to be used of you, that this world might know that there is a great Redeemer who still desires to redeem. And God, I pray even now, if there would be some who've never experienced your redemption, God, would you be gracious today? Would you lead them in the way everlasting and may they put their trust in you even now, God, and experience that weight coming off their shoulders, Lord, as, the, as you take their sin upon yourself and pay the debt they could never pay. Lord, we pray that you would do that even now in someone's life. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.